Welcome to Worthy, I'm Alexia Boland. This week we're taking a look back into one of the world's greatest mysteries, the disappearance of American aviator Amelia Earhart. Historian and publisher Douglas Westfall had previously recovered and shared historic film of Amelia just before her doomed round-the-world flight with the silent black-and-white footage movie showing major changes that have been carried out on the plane's communication system Changes that shouldn't have happened and could have spelled the end for the world's beloved aviation pioneer. Now Douglas Westfall has found even more footage, this time showing Amelia greeting one young fan at an airport in Hawaii in her final days before takeoff in 1937. After a $4 million search paid for by the US government, making it one of the most expensive air searches in US history, what happens next? Well... No one knows for sure, even to this day. Amelia Earhart was a celebrity worldwide, uh, American's heroine, an aviatrix. By the time she disappeared in July of 1937, she had 16 world records to her credit, and only half of them because she was a woman. She was uh, unbelievably a celebrity, in a world that had barely scratched the surface of the film industry. And because of that, and because America is known for never giving up on their own, we're still searching for her. And we've uncovered film before where, you know, there's been changes to her plane, to her Electra, and, and people have really speculated in terms of the theories of what happened to her and, and um, how she may have disappeared. Yes, and the new film uh, that we've got is really remarkable because it shows a type of loop at the top of her plane that was removed days before she leaves in this, in this film. And even the man that developed it said that's the reason she got lost, was because they didn't use his DF loop, the one that locates where you are in relation to another radio station. And do they know why that may have been changed? almost 80 years since the disappearance. Yeah, next year it'll be 80. Um, significantly, many of her radio antennas and crystals and radios themselves were modified between the time she uh, left Burbank and the time she left Miami, Florida. And in combination, that's the major issue. However, this particular loop, called a Hoven DF loop for the man that invented it, um, is probably more significant simply because that would have enabled her to fly the plane and not have to try to look for the radio stations herself. Mm. The one they exchanged with was mechanical. This one was automatic. She had to do nothing, just read the dial. And significantly, they thought that they wouldn't have enough parts around the world if something happened to it. In other words, if it breaks, what are we going to do? So they took it off and gave her the manual one, and we still don't have her to this day. Are you a believer of this theory as well? Just because, you know, it's, it makes so much sense that this is what would have, you know, put her off track. This is what would have made it impossible to communicate back home to say, you know, there's, there's an issue here. For me, as a historic researcher, I don't care where we find Amelia as long as we find Amelia. 
At the same time, I mm. obtained a copy of the British Admiralty Manual of 1943, in which all of the wind currents and ocean currents of the time in the Pacific were then known. Prior to that, no one knew exactly what was going on. Subsequently, she flew into a 31-knot headwind almost the entire way. So instead of flying at 150 miles an hour, as they thought, they're only flying at 120. Mm. And so effectively, she flew over 3,000 miles when the actual flight was only supposed to be 2,500. And running, she ran out of gas. Yeah, she running out of fuel. Gas. It's that simple. I have the audio interview of Leo Bellers, the chief radio operator that took down her messages, that stood on the deck, that looked for her. And in his own words, he said, her last message was frantic. And then it just simply cut off. And that, that would have been absolutely devastating like to hear that as well and to, and to search. And I understand that her husband even financed his own search. Like the, the world really hasn't given up on looking for her or trying to solve this mystery. Not at all. Uh, I have talked with five different men who are on five different islands asking me for information, and I'm happy to supply it. I'm a historian. I've got no axe to grind. I'm going to give them all the data I have. I never hold anything back. And the goal, of course, is to find Amelia, and I don't care which one of them finds her. I really don't. I'm happy no matter who does it. Some of them I'm having a hard time believing, but I'm still willing to allow them to find her if they can. What are some of the uh, more uh, out there theories, in your opinion, that, that are being brought to you to kind of check over? Well, the most prominent uh, is perhaps Tiger, who continues to go to the island of Nicomororo, uh, called Gardner Island in Earhart's time. Um, as I've said before, I don't know any pilot in their right mind was going to fly 350 miles off course to look for an island that she does not have charts for when she can't find any island that she does have charts for. Ooh. On no gas. That's right. It's, um, yeah, that sounds like an insane move. But people really believe it. They think, you know, we're going to search through all of this terrain, this forestry, and, you know, we're going to find her. I believe also that they, someone found remains on that island and they, you know, and then they, they were lost so no one can actually test is, and find out conclusively if that was Amelia or, or Fred Noonan. True, but I have... Uh talked with several archaeologists um that particular island had um 100 islanders on it living there for 25 years starting the year after Earhart disappeared mm. beyond that in 1940 there was a gale force storm that basically swept the island clean uh, in addition to that during world war ii there was a 30-man crew of Coast Guardmen running a radar Loran station there with large buildings, generators, antennas, and of course those guys always clean up when they leave. <laughs> so it's a tainted site. It would be very difficult to differentiate between an airplane park from 1937 and an airplane park from 1943. Sure. Uh, and, and you know, being 80 years next year, are you uh, still keeping your fingers crossed that you know we might find another piece of film or something that may just put this all to bed 
Absolutely. Uh, we're continually on the search. I've released three films in our history as publishers. I give them away. I don't own them. They're all donated to an appropriate archive. Anyone can go online and watch the film. Um, if you buy our book, of course, you get a free download of a high-res version of it. Um, you know, we don't own it. We get to borrow it. It's the way we look at it. And uh, we understand there's another film on the horizon, but oh, we don't right. have any contact yet. So we're hopeful for that as well. Fingers crossed. And I noticed in the latest film, um, it is obviously there's no audio, but it, it shows Amelia shaking hands with the young little boy in front of the plane and then kind of walking away out of shot. Um, that's quite significant in a way, isn't it? Absolutely. I spoke face-to-face -face with Dennis Gray, the little boy that's in the film. He was elated to speak with me and supplied the film to us. And uh, is quite a young man uh, at his age. His youngest daughter is named Amelia in that honor of him meeting oh. her. Uh, he was four years old, and they came on the train out west to visit family. And they heard there was a lion at the Burbank Airport. So they took their little boy and their daughter over to the airport to see the lion, and that is in the film. Yes, I did the wonder lion. what the lion shot was doing in the film, but that makes perfect sense now. <laughs> the lion was Gilmore the Lion, who was a mascot for Roscoe Turner, fly-by-night flyer, uh, you know. Um, he was working for the Gilmore Company, and the lion became a mascot. And during his tenure, he, the lion flew over 25,000 air miles <laughs> until he got too big. And so, and so at 1,500 pounds, it becomes quite a liability in a small aircraft. And so uh, one of the mechanics that worked on Amelia's plane built a cage at Burbank. And here's this little boy and his mom and his sister looking at this giant of a lion in the cage permanently at the airport. Mm. Then they walk over, they see a few other planes and they see Amelia Earhart's aircraft. And that's when she walks out to see this little boy and probably give him the thrill of a lifetime. That is beautiful. Oh, gee, what a memory. And also, that's so fantastic you were able to track this little boy down and he was happy to, to, to share the footage with you. Oh, yeah, he's a great guy. He was uh, into avionics, taught for the Navy, taught at Dartmouth University. I mean, he's quite a brilliant man. But here he is in his 80s, reliving a moment when he's four years old. And just incredible to watch his face light up again. It's like he was still there. Fantastic. And it just shows how much of an impact Amelia Earhart had and still has today. It's truly amazing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's you know, she's an American heroine. There's no other way to look at it. And Dennis, <clears throat> God love him, he was reliving this moment right in front of me. And uh, the significance, of course, of the film is we get to see the DF loop in place on the aircraft, yet you notice in the film, people are loading that plane up. She's got her flight jacket on. We're leaving in days. Mm. And we know that the DF loop, that particular Hoven loop, was removed probably around March 1st, and she left two weeks later. So we know we're very close in this film. And uh, it's interesting to see uh, the mechanics of it all. You almost want to, um, you know, you wish that you could just be there and say, don't do it, don't remove it. You know, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it must be hard to kind of watch in a way as well to know that this is most likely the cause that, that lost her for the world. Absolutely. And, you know, in the book, Amelia Earhart's last flight to Hawaii, 
she ground loops the plane in Hawaii, which is outlined in the book, and has to bring the plane back and have it repaired. 45 days later, here we are on the tarmac again, and that's the, the film that we released in our first book. And so we have both films of both departures almost, and yet she takes off again dutifully and she flies to Arizona where she has an engine fire and then flies to Texas where she has dust storms that she can't land. And then after leaving uh, uh, Louisiana, she flies to Miami, Florida and breaks a strut on the aircraft. That's a big clue not to go. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, it's like a giant billboard saying maybe you shouldn't do this, but oh. she went anyway. You have to and, admire uh, her determination. <laughs> oh, she was. She was such a, a, a guaranteed heroine. There's no question about that. On her first air crash, when she was in her early twenties, she and her uh, flight instructor Netta uh, Netta Snook, um, they crashed the plane in a field. And all these people are running up to them to see if they're okay. And Amelia is facing the fuselage. And Netta goes, what are you doing? All these people are coming for you. She says, I'm putting on lipstick. <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> Always the lady. <laughs> Douglas, or thank you so much for your time and for sharing this amazing new um, story of footage and all of that um, Dennis I believe the young man and and actually meeting the amazing woman herself um, people can also download your, this book and also view the vision themselves and how can they go about doing that uh, specialbooks.com our website for the last quarter century has all of our <laughs> books on it it's on the home page it's called Amelia Earhart's last flight to Hawaii and you can buy the book or just buy the ebook. Either way, you get the download of the film, and that is true with our other books too that have films associated with them. It's amazing footage to look at. Really, it's quite chilling, but it's um, beautiful to know the story behind it now too. That's it for Worthy this week. A big thank you to Douglas Westfall for joining us. For more information, you can contact him at Paragon at specialistbooks.com. I'm Alexia Boland. Tune in to Worthy next time.